Fit Nation. It's Fit Nation. Awesome. Although the years have changed now and we go by different names, I remember the sound of our roof in the rain. And my mind goes back in time to a place so far gone Where the love we left behind us was still new We were listening to a record on the end of your bed Not giving thought to where it was all going And I was right then and there so badly I could read your mind Just so I could know the things that you were knowing I believe, yes I do The hardest part is always leaving love behind I believe, yes I do That everything we lose Will be a gift in time But the hardest part is leaving love behind When it was time to say goodbye Those words came down like stones I admit for so long after It was hard to feel at home We would hear the highway song Shifting down in the night I was grateful that the echoes broke the quiet I believe, yes I do The hardest part is always leaving love behind I believe, yes I do That everything we lose will be a gift in time But the hardest part is leaving love behind time ago It's just a lesson learned in love It's not angry It's not sad Sometimes you gotta lose something to know what you have I believe, I believe Yes I do The hardest part is always leaving love behind
All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. It's Fit Nation. If you're a veteran and you're struggling or feel like you're leading a path towards the darkness, stop and think about those who are around you. Think about how they truly value you, how they will miss you. You are not alone. You need to talk to someone. Someone will listen to you. If you feel like you'll be a burden to someone, or you feel embarrassed to talk to your friends or family, please dial the hotline at 988 and take option one. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. That's the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the bell. This will keep you up to date with our latest news episodes uh, if we go live. And of course, the stories of our great guests. Speaking of which, our next guest is a highly regarded specialist who assists mostly national companies and their leaders in crisis awareness, cultural change, and high-performance leadership. He has displayed an extraordinary ability to perform optimally under stressful scenarios through extensive experiences as a member of the elite paratroopers and other specialist roles in the Australian Army operational tours to it that include East Timor. So without further ado, let's welcome Mark Ashby to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure awesome. to be here. It's awesome to have you here. Awesome. Like we were talking in the pre-show to connect across the time zones, across the pond. And we're on different ends of the earth right now. And we're talking like we're right next door to each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Isn't it? Fantastic. So, Mark, if you don't mind to fill in the audience on a little bit more about your background from as far back as you want to go to where we are now, uh, minus the stuff I might have just threw out. Yeah, essentially, I a uh, very you know, simple childhood. Grew up, at the, uh, grew up in Sydney, actually grew up at the beach in Sydney. So uh, I, was, I was a surfer from the time that I can remember. I was riding a surfboard from when I was probably about five years of age. And uh, and that was my, my really my life. I went through the just the, the normal public school system and um i was a tradesman early when i was young i was an electrician and uh but it, w- it was never what i wanted to do really as, as my life and i got to that that 20s sort of period and i uh, always had a bit of fascination with the military and uh so yeah off i went and, and joined the army um and i had a real real penchant for i suppose just i suppose trying to, to get the best out of myself in that environment anyway so i uh my, my dream was to get into the, the paratroopers in Australia, which is one of the uh, the, the, the great units there, and um, which I was successful in, which was fantastic. Ended up doing a couple of uh, tours of East Timor, like we spoke about before. Um, and then I, uh, yeah, we, we like that, that giant episode that affected all of us around the world when the towers come down in New York. I, um, I was in the army at the time and... Uh, I suppose that the ripple effect of that was the amount of units that were then deploying overseas in operations. And, uh, and my unit essentially was, was mucking us around a little bit, um, whether to go or not, or, you know, stay home. So in the end, after a bit of back and forth, I, I got approached about going to um, Iraq as a private guy, which was a decision really that changed my life. Um, I got to Go going to Iraq and um, I embedded with uh with, with your your guys actually with the, the US um, government on a lot of contracts over there, 
and I did a bit of time with the uh, with, with the Green Berets, with the 10th Group Green Berets over there. And um, I was going to stay for maybe a, a couple of years in Iraq and go back to the Army in Australia. I ended up staying for, for 11, 11 years over there, which was something that I never really ever planned on, but it just it just sort of fell that way. And I was very, very lucky with the contracts that I was on um, and the personnel that I was working with, working with some great people over there. Ended up finishing up there with uh, four years in the Australian Embassy in Baghdad as a cost protection team leader there. Um, popped back to Australia in 2016, I think it was at the start, and, and ended up working a bit with the government and in the corporate sector as well, which I really enjoyed. Then we went, to, went back to university at 48 years of age, did my master's degree in uh, counterterrorism, which was a, an experience all on its own at, at my age and, and doing that. Uh, probably the most terrifying thing I've ever done, to be honest. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then I decided to get my own and start my own um, consulting business, which basically is a, it's just a, a performance business where I uh, either work with uh, individuals from that sort of um, board level up, up to execs and the CEOs, uh, or I'll work with corporate teams and, and just basically helping them to get the, the best out of themselves. You know, if they're in a bit of a sticky situation, they've got maybe they've got staff that are leaving, you know, like a staff retention problem um, or maybe a, a, a bit of a, a problem with the toxicity in the workplace or they're just not feeling like they're getting the best out of themselves. I'll, I'll go in there and really draw on everything I've learned uh, over all my years and really try and help them turn that around and turn that mindset around and, and get the best out of themselves. So that, that's basically it, essentially, <laughs> what I do now. That's, I mean, that's awesome. It's a, that was a lot of time in Iraq, uh, no matter if you contract it or not. I'm just going to ask you if you had a time share there or something, maybe, maybe you bought some property, but that's, that's a lot of time to stay in that country, working hard and doing hard work. Uh, probably the hardest work was prior to going in the embassy, but uh, staying on the streets and protecting people. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I think like a, like a lot of us, we, we didn't really know what we're getting into. You know, I went over there early in 04, um, you know, I'd been in operations, but never been to war, as, as they say, really, in that combat, real proper combat zone. And um, it was a shock, I think, to all of us. And, and especially the guys I was with, we were all experienced guys from, from real specialist backgrounds. And I think every one of us was, was shocked how bad it really was. I think for once, the media was actually downplaying it. I think it was worse than what the media was saying. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and that first couple of weeks in Baghdad was a real shock to me. Um, and I really considered going home. I was like, there's a big chance of losing your life here. Like a lot of people were, you know, both contractors and soldiers. And it was like, uh, I suppose the best way I could describe it, you know, for me, it was like the Wild West. There was no real rules and laws. And so, yeah, but I decided to see it out. And once that mindset, mindset shifted to understanding how it worked and understanding the best way to stay alive, um, it was funny by the time I, I left, I actually sort of, Felt really sort of comfortable there, you know, which is quite a quite a strange one. Did a lot of time with with uh, with your guys, which was fantastic. Um, they really looked after us. Um, working with the elections over there behind the scenes and doing a lot of uh, a bit a bit of covert work over there for a couple of years, which was um, the, the low profile stuff because it was too dangerous to work out on the streets. You know, I, was work, I was, I mean, in that hard target, I was working up in a city called Bakuba, about forty kilometres north of Baghdad, and the dangerous place, you know, run by Al Qaeda. And to work there as a hard target, it was just too dangerous. So we decided to, to go low profile and, and dress like the locals, which is the best thing we could have done uh, because the, the pressure on us to get that right um, was, was absolutely immense. You know, I mean, we were, we were taking directions from, um, from General Petraeus at the time. 
So it was so much pressure to get that right because the whole world was watching. And uh, it was really successful. And, and um, yeah, it was an amazing time. Definitely. And uh, when you got there in 04, it's actually uh, just prior to, or I'm not sure what to got there, the Blackwater contractors actually were yeah. outside Fallujah and hung up while I was right on the other side of that, the Ramadi sector. So at that same point, when I first arrived, I actually stayed with the Australian SAS on the, on Baghdad Airport at the tower. They they took us in like little brothers for a couple of nights until we got our stuff and got out of there to Ramadi. So that's a correlation there for the two of us. <laughs> yeah, I was actually living just near that tower as well. I know exactly what you're talking about. The awesome. little camp in the tower. I was just there and yeah, it was still, that resonates. Oh, I understand that whole situation with the, with the lads at it. Uh, Fallujah and that, yeah, it was a terrible, terrible, terrible thing, you know, like, yeah, we, we all remember that one. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you spoke about the mindset and uh, having the resilience to make it through the 11 years there and to turn your focus to doing good while you were there and, and being successful. How do leaders need to be uh, more resilient to be recognized and respected as the leader of their organization as they uh, move forward? Yeah, I, I think a big one for me is a thing I've always taken especially working under great leaders is having that, you know, that, that ability to really, really resonate with your people, um, really understand them, understand who they are, not just to face in the crowd, to get to know them. And, and also I think leading from the front is a big one. Um, and I really learned those, those traits overseas about, about being professional as professional as you can be, but also having that real empathetic side and understanding who your people are and understand that we all come from the bottom. Even the great leaders started somewhere whether they had a part-time job somewhere or whatever they did before they became great. And the great ones always keep that mentality. They, they always stay like that. And I was very, very lucky to work on some really great ones that really gave me that springboard into the future about how to be uh, you know, in that leadership sphere. And I think you've got to be a, a very adaptable as a leader as well. But you've got to, you've got to listen to your people. No, I think uh, being adaptable as a leader also helps as times change. Uh, not just technologically, but people also change as the years go on. You have to, like you said, understand your the people you work with and uh, adapt more towards them. In your experience uh, with working with the corporations now and uh, trying to coach them up, who do you see has the most uh, difficulty in adapting? Is it those leaders who have been leading for a long time or those who just became leaders? Yeah, I think. I think quickly the ones that have just become leaders, I think that they, they are better to work with because they're, they're looking for that that you know assurance or advice uh, that they're on the right trajectory, the right path, and they're more adaptable, like we spoke about. And they're looking at this new style of, I suppose, leadership where after the pandemic that they're faced now with this hybrid you know style work environments where people maybe want to work from home more or do three days in the office or two days at home, and they're they're more than happy to adapt with that and, and to roll with that. So they're the ones that are, I think, going to do quite well. A lot more also, uh, you know, females in those leadership roles as well now, which is something that's going to keep changing in the future. Where I think you have that older mentality, it's, it's for them, it's, it's harder to, like you said, um, you know, to really adapt because they may have been in that same leadership role in a big corporation for, for maybe a decade, maybe longer. Right. And for them to all of a sudden to be told they have to change, um, it can be a difficult thing. I think a lot of it with them comes from fear. That's what I found. If you can get into the mind space of somebody, you can really break them down, which is what I think I'm, I've always been quite good at. You have that chance, then you can really um, sort of flip their paradigm a bit and, and really, really sort of allow them to see 
the, how the changes that, that they make are going to benefit not just them, but it's going to benefit their workers and the company and productivity and all these things. So um, that's that's what I found anyway. Uh, Definitely, and I think uh, as you've seen throughout your your life, uh, from military through uh, contracting to now, leadership evolves, and what people define leadership as evolves. So what we thought leadership was when we were younger in the '90s, early 2000s, that definition might be different now. What do you see the definition of leadership as being now? Yeah, I think that that big one is, and also because we're so connected now. Like when we all grew up, you know, I grew up in the '80s, of course, and and we weren't as you know we weren't connected at all. So people people could get away with a lot of more things back in those days, whether it was that toxic behaviour or, 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 or bullying in the workplace or having that real nepotistic attitude of getting all your mates in there and, and looking after each other, but the rest of it can can basically, you know, do what they like. I think now because we're so connected and everyone's, uh, you, you know, more aware, they're, they're very educated and people understand how the world works a lot more now. I think that's a real thing that leaders have to be aware of now because a, a company that does the wrong thing now by somebody, they, could, they can be brought down by social media. They can get these massive negative campaigns against them um, and they've got to be very careful about how they go about things. Um, there's a lot more, I suppose, in the corporate world now as well. People come in expecting maybe something out of their position, not just the job. They maybe want some sort of benefits out of the job, whether it's something to do with, with healthcare or or even to something to, to do with, uh, you know, ha- having their maybe their food paid for in their business. There's so many different little things that people are looking for now, gym memberships, all this sort of stuff. And leaders, I suppose, have got to be understanding of that now. And the good ones are um, because people may, may come in so qualified and there's so much competition now that, you know, it, it's something that you've really got to be adapted with. But years ago, you didn't quite have that, it was more of that cookie cutter approach. You had a position and, and then people applied for it. But now people have got all different spheres of, of education and skill sets and experience, maybe working overseas. And so you've really got to sort of be ready for that as a leader, I think. I think you're exactly right. I think now the, the leader has to be very adaptable, has to be able to pivot on a, at a moment's notice to attack a new challenge or find that new way of uh, rallying the troops that are below and rallying the, the core of workers that work for them. As we've seen in the, in the pandemic, they had to make that pivot to say, hey, you can't come to the office, but we still need to be productive. How do we do this? And the good leaders went right away to that, that mindset, hey, we can do this from home. We don't need the brick and mortar. I can oversee what you're doing from my computer. You can be on your computer and still be productive and, and reach out to our client base and still do that. Whereas there were some that really could not handle it and, and wound up flapping and out the door. So... Do you think that's a mindset thing that, like we just talked about, they just could not change or they just didn't think it would really happen? Yeah, I think it's a really good point. I think it's that I think guys like ourselves, we're so used to being in those, those you know, little squeaky tight environments where, where we've got to change at a moment's notice, whether it's accommodation or one minute you might be in something that's decent, the next minute you're in something that's horrendous, <laughs> different locations, you know, so you understand exactly what I'm talking about. And for guys like us, we can adapt so easily. You know, we can just a flick of a switch. We're just like, yeah, we're going somewhere else now. Okay, and off we go. All we care about that we've got maybe decent internet and well, the food's okay. Um, but the rest of it is whatever. But I think that the average person out there in society, they're, they're just not used to it. And I think at first they were like, okay, this is this is not so bad. I'm home with my family and my, and my children every day and I'm working. But after a while, I think it really weighed down on people's 
you know, on, on their mental health. Um, and the ones that, you know, can adapt to it are fine. And the ones that can't, they, they need to be out of that, that house environment. They need to go back to the workplace. And some people I've spoken to, they've loved actually going back to work and back to the workplace. Not everybody. Some are really happy to be home because of maybe not having to get on the train and go to work, you know, travel and things like this and paying extra money for food at work. So they're saving money by not going to the workplace. But you also then don't have that human interaction with you have to maybe attend a board meeting or just even just your, your, your daily management meetings. Um, so I think it's a double-edged sword. And I think you really, a lot of people have really learned who they are during this pandemic and, and what they're capable of and, and what they can do moving forward. And I think, like you said, some will, will remain in that sphere of staying from home. But I think others will really need that human, you know, human interaction. I mean, me personally, I love it. I love having the interaction with people. I, I love nothing better than going into a into a, an office place and and talking to people. Just like when we're on the job, you know, you, you want to be there with, with the with your teammates and, and and be part of it. And actually have interaction all during the day and banter or whatever you want to call it. During yeah. that helps. Like you talked about earlier, mental health. A lot of people did lose a lot of their mental acuity during those two years of being locked down or having a different lifestyle because of the, the pandemic. And it really hurt a lot of adults and it really hurt children who weren't able to actually go to school and be with their their classmates for two years. So that's two years of their lives that they lost social interaction. And now they're trying to rebuild that and they, slowly now. So that's going to be a long battle for a lot of parents and those kids as well to get that social, uh, uh, I guess, uh, comfort back in there to actually talk to people in public and not just be on a Zoom call or texting them all day long. Hey, did you see this or seeing that? And to your point, like when we in the 80s and 90s, we were growing up, it, it's probably a good thing we didn't have cameras or the internet because a lot of us would not have jobs now probably. <laughs> so it's probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a world time. <laughs> <laughs> a whole different world back then. Uh, so most employers are, have their core employees and then you have the board of directors. How do we really nudge them to get the best out of both sets of those people? The biggest thing that I that I try and do, um, well, I do every time when I go into any new new business and I sit down with whether it's a, the you know HR or sit down with the CEO or the board, is I've got to have that buy-in from them. I've got to have them with you know they've literally got my back during the process because if you don't have the buy-in from them, you're only going to be getting, you know, you might be getting sixty percent or seventy percent out of your your, your end game. Because you, you've got to have an end game in any equation. Like when I go into it, it's got to be outcome driven. So you want to go in there and give them an outcome, so they have something to look to look at. It's tangible. But if you don't have that buy-in, and quite often I find where they'll say that they they are going to support you, but then you come to them with things that you find. You're always going to find little little gremlins inside their system. Maybe maybe they've got a the, the staff's got a big problem there. The management with promotion, where they're like the right the right people here are not being promoted. You know, they're only promoting friends, like I said, or they're only promoting from outside, you know, exterior rather than from promoting from within. And every organisation has amazing people. You've just got to discover them. You've got to find them. They're in there. Maybe it's some of the quieter, the quieter folk in there that aren't speaking up. So what I'll say to them is, okay, you've got this problem here, but you don't actually have any system in place for promotion. You're just, you're just really got a, a secondhand style system where they're winging it. And if they, they really sort of identify that and say, okay, yeah, absolutely, let's get this, you know, something happening with this, because you can then start really identifying those those really great people in your organisation to, to be promoted. 
um, it, it makes it a lot easier. But if you then have the, the pushback then from that management, which you can have so often, it becomes really difficult. That you then got to then go back to the start, sit down with those leaders that you've you've spoken with from the very beginning and almost readdress it again. And it's a bit of back and forth, which is really counterproductive in everything you're trying to do there. Because I'm there to get the best out of them. I'm there to make them realize what they can do. And, and it's always, always for, for guys like us, which those little one percenters, isn't it? It's nothing big. They're little changes to make it better. Right. You just got to pivot. You got to learn to pivot. And you got, you got to pivot. There's light at the end of that tunnel that's actually good for you anyway. So you should just pivot and not fight the go against the the wave, I guess, like if in your surfing days. Don't go against the wave. Go with the wave. So That's right. Yeah, they've just got to trust your process. Exactly right. You know, just, just trust what I do. It's what I'm good at, what I've done for a long time. And, and it's not rocket science. It's little changes to, to, to get to a really great end result. So. And a lot of uh, leaders or managers and corporations, they, they let emotions get the most of them when they're trying to make decisions and they make emotional decisions that wind up being very bad decisions most times. How do you teach them to keep their positive and negative emotions from uh, adjusting their decision points? Really, really interesting point. And you see, I've actually got a system. That's quite, quite ironic you've said that. I've actually got a, it's called a diamond system that I operate on that, that, that I've designed and it's part of my business. And it exactly, it's, it's about breaking down emotional charges to, to make a more effective leader. And it's about removing the negative. Um, you know, it, it's about so identifying the, the negative and, and positive aspect of every decision. It's about removing that emotion and, and you're exactly right. It's like, you know, if they're making decisions based on emotion, they're, they're going to get it wrong a lot of the time. It can be anything like where you've got, say, maybe you've got a senior exec who leaves a business and they've got a bad reputation in that business. It's quite toxic there. And if you go and ask all the workers after they've left, you know, how do you all feel? He, he, you know, he or she is gone and they've all gone, oh, it's fantastic that they've gone. And every, but what they're looking is that they're looking at the positive aspect of that person leaving. You know, everyone thinks it's great, but there's always a negative side of that. There's always the fact that maybe that person handled all of the, the contracts, the tenders, Maybe they, they uh, you know, are such an expert in that field, there's going to be a giant hole when they leave. And then who's going to replace them as well? So you've got to always look at the positive and negative aspect. Just like you said, it's, it's quite funny you said that because it's, it's part of my program that I do is, is, is remove that, you know, re- remove that emotion out of the actual decision-making process to, to get a real, you know, a real proper result out of it. Definitely. And, uh, and keeping the emotions in check is very, uh, very hard for some people and, I'm sure it takes them a little bit of nudging to learn that, hey, just take a deep breath and it'll be all right. And then then make your decision. It'll be a lot better later. Yeah, it's like that thing that we do, don't we? That 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 whole you know, slow is smooth, smooth is fast thing. It's that whole just slowing time down a bit. Take a breath. Think about your decision. Instead of rushing in, you know, like if you think, is this, is this the best decision that I'm making now? Is it going to be the best outcome? Um, because sometimes when you do that little bit of a moment's pause, and you think, oh, I'm glad I didn't do that. That actually would have been a, a really wrong move. Um, I, I teach a little bit of sort of cri- critical incident, active shooter stuff as well with, with my business, um, just with my background. And and um, that's, that's one of the big things I, I tell people, you know, in the event of anything like that, it's just to, to have a try and in, in all that carnage and craziness, have a bit of a moment to, to try and take in what's going on and give yourself at least that chance of, of you know, of getting yourself out of anything like that alive rather than just following the crowd and just rushing in. You know, it might be the right move you make that day, but it also may be the wrong one. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting, isn't it? 
Yeah, slow is smooth, smooth is fast, and don't rush to failure is uh, another thing. So that those yeah. two, those go right together. Uh, leadership has to do with uh, being able to get people, influence people to do the right thing or get to the purpose of a goal. But it also has a lot to do with the heart and mind, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And and like like we did overseas, a lot of a lot of hearts and minds on, on our operations where you've got to go one minute, you've got to be that, you've got to have that aggression um, in, in any of that that sort of uh, environment. But the next minute, you may be going through a um, a village that's that's full of you know kids that want to play want to play soccer or football, or whatever, with us. You know, which we did a lot, I, I, you know, especially out in the provinces, you know, in Iraq. And uh, when I was there with the Corps of Engineers. You know, we used to take out a lot of a uh, lot of lot of soccer balls and you know footballs out to the villages and kick them around with the kids. And you've got to have that ability to to, to really show that that side. It's it's important. It's important not just for them, but for you. It's important for for yourselves and you know to really um be able to to flick that switch you know on and on and off and 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 just do it with ease, not do it with making a big deal out of it. It's just something that you've got to have that that you know innate ability to do that. I think it's so important. Definitely is, and uh, uh, it's like the carrot and stick approach. You got to have be able to do both, and like you said, going out there playing soccer with the kids one day, the next day you might be in that same village doing an op, and you got to absolutely have those kids were there, and that football may now be the enemy. So you have to know when the carrot's good and when the stick is good. So that, that's also a mindset thing to be able to adapt on the fly. Uh, we talk about leadership. In order to be a high performance leader or a truly elite, what do they need to do? What do they need to program their mind to to be an elite high performer in, in the corporate world? Yeah, look, I, I think they've just got to want to be a better version of themselves. They're, they've got to actually want to really listen to, you know, the the, the one percenters that actually work. Um, it, it's a really, you know, really really interesting thing where you may come across high performers and they're in a high performance role. But they're not a high performer. They're not getting the best out of themselves. They're in a big position. They may be earning, you know, maybe three, four million dollars a year, maybe even more. And they, I think, believe too many of their own press clippings sometimes. And you've, and I try and break it down with them. I try and get to that level, which guys like you and I, we do. We can go in there and speak to them naturally because we've 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 seen things that they've never seen in their lives. We've been through the, the best and worst of life, so we're not some. Um, middle, you know, like a manager going into that CEO's office and, and literally trembling with fear because they're talking to the CEO. You know, guys like us, we just go in there and, and tell them how it is. And I like to really uh, break down who they are. I like to get into their person off a little bit and find out where they come from and who they are as a human being and reverse engineer it and, and really give them that confidence to, to really take the, the, you know, the, their step to that, to that next level to really pump it up and and really maybe reinvent their confidence that they may have lost as well. It's a false confidence. It's that bravado. And it's it's all about um, working smart. Maybe they're working, you know, crazy hours. Um, I, I found a couple that, uh, well, I had one especially was working these 70-hour weeks still as a CEO. And I was like, what, what are you doing? You've got this whole, as we go to the masculine feminine approach, you're, you're so masculine that approach of, of that masculine ideology where you're going straight ahead working 70 hours a week. Well, you don't have to. You can you can scale it back a bit, and more of that lateral, you know, feminine approach with the way you do things um, to get the best out of yourself. And and it can be those little tweaks that can really elevate them and and, and make them believe in again, believe in themselves again, and what they're doing, and to get the to be the best version of themselves. And that, that's how I really go about it. But I really try and identify who they are 
and understand their mindset to um to, to help them be a better version of themselves. And that's all it is. Exactly. Just reprogramming them to be the better, the best person they could be or the better version of themselves in the, in the long run to help not just them in the corporate world, it'll help them in their personal lives as well because they're being the best version of them, not, not a robot that's behind a desk. Yeah, it can be something also that's going on in their personal life that's affecting their professional life. They may be going through a bad divorce or you know, custody battle or they just lost one of their, maybe one of them just lost their mother or father. You know? um, it can be the smallest thing that's affecting them and it happens to all of us, you know. We've all, you know, gone through through tragedy, you know, ourselves. And, um, you know, I've had untold friends that have taken their lives, and it's just been terrible, you know, a terrible, terrible time. And and it, it's a real, uh, it's been a real challenge for, for everybody to, to to get through this because you never come through this unscathed. I think from what we experience, you're never going to come out of it unscathed. You're always going to have those skeletons and and those memories. But it's just about how you. How, how you learn to live with it, I suppose, and, and, and to get the best out of life. Because we're only here once, aren't we, Rich? You know, we're not, you know, we're not coming back again on, as we are now. It's our one go at it, and we've got to really you know, make, make the most of it while we're here. Exactly. It's, it's not a, a video game. You can't just hit the respawn button and you're back here doing it again and maybe get it right this time. You either do it right today or, or just don't do it. Do, do the best you can today to make tomorrow better, and then each day do the same thing. Keep stacking that yeah. up, stack those victories. Yeah. Mark, this is a, yeah. a enlightening conversation. Uh, you, you put a lot of information into the Misfit Nation's heads. Hopefully, they're grasping it and they can take it back to their businesses and and to their corporations that they work at and say, "Hey, maybe we should try this paradigm shift and and do better things." Note if they want to contact you, how would they get in contact with you to maybe help their organization be better as well? Yeah, the best way for, for me, my, 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 uh, my website's very, very simple. It's just markashbycon.com and that's just Mark with a K. Um, and my, my personal email to that business is just mark at markashbyconsulting.com. Uh, nice, nice and simple. And I'm, I'm pretty uh, prevalent on, um, on LinkedIn as well, but my, my links are all there. So, Awesome. Uh, mark, again, thanks for taking some of your time to share your, your expertise and your story with us here at the Misfit Nation. It's been a pleasure. It's been, been fantastic talking to you. Thanks very much for having me. No problem. You know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on Fit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible. If you want to, please become a supporter to help us carry this thing on. We appreciate you. If you know someone that brings that energy, has a great story, is an up-and-comer in any industry of music, in the arts, have them reach out to us on TheMisfitNation.com. We will get back to them within one day and get them on here so they can share their story with the world. As always, till next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Because we are Fit Nation.